ahead and take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to focus on verse 16. And I wished I could take credit for the timing of this message as it follows up on the message that I gave this morning. But I can't always do that. Now, I do plan things. I I have things set ahead of time for quite a while, especially on Sunday mornings. The staff, they know that, you know, at the end of the year, toward October, November, I spend some time uh, praying about where God might would lead us in the next year. And I begin to go and put things down and work on it. And usually I have my sermon series on Sunday mornings planned months and months in advance. Now, God does direct me, and every now and then I will whittle this or change that or do some other things. But for the most part, I have my sermon series outlined and all of that. On Sunday nights, I do have basically outlines of what I'm going to do, but I have no idea when I'm going to do them. Why? Because Sunday night is so unpredictable. There are different things that happen on Sunday night. There are different times when I'm called away or different moments where uh, I'm just out of town and I'm, I'm not always sure exactly where it'll line up. So I, I can't take full credit for this. I actually would like to give the credit to the Holy Spirit of bringing this together tonight. And looking at verse 16 in context of this morning's message as well. Let me read verse 16 and, and just make some initial comments as far as the chapter itself. And then come back and try to put it in the context of the message this morning. Okay, could you allow me to do that? Let's look. Chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We're talking about changed lives. That's what Paul was speaking about when he spoke to the Colossians. And as we've outlined before, he gives them a great picture of who Jesus is. He gives them one of the greatest, I think, images of Christ, his reconciling ministry, his authority over the church, the one who created, the one who is God himself. He gives us that picture there in chapter 1. And then he moves to address the philosophies that are trying to pull the people away from the Lord. And, And he specifically looks at those things and encourages them. But then he comes back in chapter 3, as we've noted the last few weeks. Well, again, when we've been here, right? We were reminded that in chapter 3, he just talks about how we're changed. If you are in Jesus, you are different. And remember, he said there are some things we put off. That is, there are some attitudes, there are some actions that are not becoming to the believer That one which confesses Jesus Christ. There's just some things we put off. We just take it off. It doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't look good upon us. It's not desirable. We put it off. But God doesn't leave us unclothed. As a matter of fact, we get to put on some stuff. We get to put on some some good stuff for the kingdom. We get to put on Christ himself. And we get to put on his attitudes. We get to put on uh, his actions. We get to represent Jesus. And as I spoke about a couple of Sundays ago, sometimes we also have to put up with others, especially in the church, right? And that's what he had said, I think, uh, in verses, I would say, from like 12 to 14 or 15, 
he would talk about how we are to allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts. And there are times people will frustrate you. There are times when people will aggravate you. Go ahead and say amen. Go ahead. Get it out of your system. You wanting to. I see it. Some of you just bottled up with that one. There are times in the church where people would disappoint you and you're aggravated. But what he says is you, because of what Christ has done in your heart, you are different and you put up with people. You allow the bond of peace to be involved in the church's activity. There's unity. He says you put up. And then he comes to this verse, the way I've outlined this. And I think in verse 16, he says, but there's some things you need to put in you. In particular, there's one thing, and that is the word. The word of Christ needs to be put in you. You, you need to allow it to dwell in you. So again, in the context of this morning's message, which I thought was a fabulous message. Did you think it was? Hey, I got to, I mean, come on, words of affirmation, even if I speak it, it's still my love language, all right? <laughs> we talked about the word, God's word, being the authority for our lives. And, and we believe that. We believe that God's word is a perfect treasure. We, we have confessed it through the years. And I say again that we as Baptists, we have typically been known through the years as people of the book. And I am grateful that we have had that nickname. And I pray it continues. I pray that we continue to say the Bible is our authority. It's not a preacher. It's not a church. It's not a denomination. It's not a confessional statement. It is not even any type of hierarchical body itself. But rather it is the scripture. It's his word that's our authority. But as I mentioned this morning... We are very good in saying that, of confessing that the word is the authority. We're a lot, we're a lot less um, committed, I think, to actually studying the scripture as we should. Sometimes we've said, yes, it is our authority, and then we have failed to open it like we should and to hear from it as his word to us. And what Paul says is that, if you're going to put off this stuff, you're going to put on things, if you're, if, you're going to, if you're going to be the church that you need to be, he says you've got to put the word in you. You've got to allow it to dwell in you. The idea of dwelling means that it actually becomes a part of you, that the word is imparted to you and it is, and it actually becomes a part of who you are the word. Now, see, one of the reasons I love temple, may I count the ways? But there are those things that I do truly love about Temple Baptist Church that are distinctive to me that some other, from some other churches that I've seen. And one is its commitment to the word. It's commitment to studying the word. I wished I could say that I had seen that at every church. Now, again, every church would have said, we believe the Bible is the word of God. But I'm not sure that I could say that I have seen the same commitment, generally speaking, generally speaking of the church. I've not seen the same commitment to, in other churches that I have here at Temple. And 
I think I've rightly given credit to the leadership who preceded me here at Temple Baptist Church. I believe from everything that I've heard through the years that Dr. McGee was one who believed in the word and preached the word. I believe Dr. Rick was one who believed the word and preached the word. They were expository preachers. Expository means that they took the scripture, they applied uh, the, the proper techniques to understand the context and what it meant then to be able to come and apply it to today. They unveiled the scripture. And I am grateful for those that I have followed and I'm grateful for that anchor. And also, I'm also reminded what a responsibility I have to continue. That type of emphasis upon the scripture and that type of emphasis and encouragement for others to study the scripture. And it wasn't just the preaching. As I've said before, when I moved here, when I was coming to temple, what I had always heard about were the great preachers. That's what I'd heard about. The great preachers who had stood in this pulpit and who had preached his word. And, and I even said, I think Dwight to the to, to the committee, that was one of the things that I felt as a challenge of being able to stand behind the sacred desk or the pulpit and to be able to feel it like I should in, in the shadow of the others who had been here. But it's a great challenge and responsibility. So I'm grateful for that. You and I, though, each day, whether the preacher or minister or whoever else, you and I have a responsibility to put the Word of God in us. If we are believers, we want to hear. If we are believers, we want to study. I, after all, I, I may not have emphasized this as much this morning. It is God's word. It is God's word. The word of Christ. Could you imagine tomorrow that you wake up in the morning and, and you're going about your business, you're having your cup of coffee or, Dale, you're having your ice cream, your bowl of ice cream in the morning, and, and you're going about your business, you're doing whatever else, and somebody uh, calls on the phone, you answer it, you look at it, and it looks like, well, it's not a telemarketer. That's right. By the way, you know your pastor still has a Baton Rouge number? I'm not a telemarketer. Just saying. Some of you all hadn't answered my phone call right recently, and I know why. I know why. But let's say you answer it. On the other end, they said, somebody says, um, hey, I want you to know this is uh, a message that God wants to speak. God is on the other line. Would you take this call? Now, some of you would be like, Whoo, what? God's here. God's calling me. Now, some of you probably say, I don't know about that. I, I, this sounds too crazy. Some of you might take it just so you can hear what this person has to say. If God really showed up, though, let's say if he showed up maybe at your door and knocked tomorrow, you would want to hear what God had to say. Well, yeah, you would. Anybody that's important? Somebody, let's say if, take politics out of this, all right? Let's say the governor shows up at your door tomorrow, knocks on your door. Would you not want to hear what he had to say? Would you not open it? As the governor of this state, no matter what party he was in, would you not want to just speak to the governor of the state of Louisiana? 
My friends, God wants to speak to us every day. No, no, no. Let me take it back. God has chosen to speak to us every day. He has spoken right here. Every time you open it, it is his word directly to you. I know in the New Testament, there are red-lettered words that designate the words of Jesus. But I could tell you that the whole book ought to be red-lettered. Because all of it is a direct word from God. And if you would answer the door, maybe when the governor would come, do you not think you ought to open and crack this book to hear what God would say to you? Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let it become a part of you. So you listen to it, you hear what it has to say, but then you just allow it to become a part of you. So when I was in different preaching classes, I had at one point a guy named Argel Smith. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Um, yeah, some of you have because some of you, he's coming again to do, he's done our senior adult Bible study for the last, uh, what, 15, 20 years. I mean, he's getting old now. I can tell him that when he comes. But um, anyway, he's been here a while, seriously. And he's coming again in August. And you know what Argel used to tell us? Argel used to say, sometimes when we preached our messages, we preached them half-baked. And I was like, what? Half-baked? He said, yes, we have not given it time to come into our system and to really allow it to have its full measure, its full significance in our lives before we get up and preach it to others. And he challenged us to internalize the message. Same thing Paul saying. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Internalize it. Let it be a part of who you are. One of the ways, obviously, is through memorization. I think that's awesome that we memorize scripture. I truly believe this, and I can say this. Uh, Ivan's not in here right now. He's out uh, on the golf cart. I saw him earlier, so you ought to feel really safe. Ivan Hood guarding this place, but it is what it is. But I am grateful that they and many others in our church help with Bible drills. I really believe that's one of the great things that we have going as a church. I mean, what's, what's better than putting the Word of God into our children, helping them memorize it? And that's tough, but oh, it's good. I was able to work with Rhett this last year and just, hey, what a challenge for me. Just remind me, memorize, maybe memorize let it indwell you. Let it be internalized. Don't just memorize it. Allow it to take apart. What does this word say to me? How can I apply this? It's more than, more than just memorization. It is internalizing it into our lives. Look, it's good to get through Scripture, but it's much more important that the Scripture gets through you. So like when you're reading through the Bible in a year. It's great to have the goal of getting through the Bible. But don't just get through it. Allow it to get through you. Allow it to sift you. Allow it to speak to you. Specifically, again, when you come across that scripture, you ask yourself, okay, what is this saying? What did it say then? 
And how is it applied now to my life? Do some study. Internalize it. I love to uh, use my imagination some, especially in the narratives of Scripture. Some years ago when I read through Richard Foster's take on spiritual disciplines, I was really challenged as Richard Foster talked about how you use your imagination and put yourself within the narrative itself to help you internalize and think through the different parts of Scripture. Now, I know imagination is not used as much today. This is used a little more today. But you and I remember, we would imagine, we would think about what it might be like, or we would imagine ourselves as certain characters when we were younger. Some of you remember that? Remember? Think back. Some of you are like, I don't remember ever. Yes, you did. Some of you imagined years ago. You imagine. Put yourself in the scripture, especially the narratives, and settle into those narratives. Go into the gospels. Go with Jesus as he performs one of those great healing activities. And, and place yourself there. Maybe you're a part of the crowd. And think what you would have experienced. Think about what you have seen. Think of how you would have responded. Go and write those things down. I think that is a great practice so that we can internalize the message. Make it a part of who we are. Certainly meditate. Meditation is a lost art in many of our churches. Meditation has been so co-opted by certain spiritual systems that we have moved away from it. But the idea of meditation to me is basically allowing God to speak to us. Maybe prayer is where we talk to God. Meditation is more where we say, God, we need you to talk to us. And we take his scripture. We take what he said right here, and then we meditate upon it. I love, and I've marked so many different passages in that one, that Psalm 119 that really deal with this, but listen to the way the psalmist spoke about meditation. He said, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. He said, make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wonderful Works. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Oh, how I love your law. <laughs> now, see, that even violates our understanding sometimes of Scripture, especially the way it was looked at in the New Testament. The law burdensome. Why would you even think? No. God's law was never to be burdensome, it was to be something that would help the people of God. It was to be something that the people would be able to uh, ponder upon and, and live accordingly. And here the psalmist gives us this blessed, perceptive, perceptive perspective itself. And he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. The idea is letting it turn over in your life. Now, I had an Old Testament professor some years ago. He was actually a fill-in professor, okay? 
So don't take my education or my educational background based upon this one story I'm going to tell you. But he talked about meditation. Again, fill in professor, kind of pastor from out in the country. And he looked at us and he said, you know what meditation is like. So what's that? So it's like a cow chewing his cud. Not the most theological significant image I've ever had. I said, we, he said, yes, it's like a cow chewing. It's like the cow swallows it and then regurgitates it. Now, I know you didn't need that image. I'm sorry I spoke it. But it will help me get by for a little longer till dinner tonight, maybe. But they'll just re-chew re on it. Just, just chewing it once again, thinking about it. Now, obviously, again, that was probably not the best professor I ever had. But he gave me an image that has stuck with me all these years. And sometimes we need to take the scripture and we need to chew on it. And we need to chew on it. And we need to chew on it. Again, it's great for you to read through the, the Bible in a year and all that. But you know what? Sometimes you just need one piece, one, one, one scripture and you need to chew on it. Maybe that's the one you chew on on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning. and Maybe for a week. I don't know. You just chew on it because you want to internalize it. Let it dwell in you. Well, there are so many other parts of this of allowing God's word to dwell in us richly. But one of the reasons that we allow it to dwell so that it will enrich our lives. Wisdom, notice this, it says that it will dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I mean wisdom. Who doesn't need it? We all need it, folks. I need it. I think oftentimes of how totally inadequate I am as a pastor. People come into my office and they share some things about life and maybe where they are. And, and I sit there sometimes and I say to myself, God, I am so inadequate to deal with this. You know, I, but then I'm reminded that wisdom comes from him. And he even said, if anybody likes wisdom, he is more than liberal or generous to provide that wisdom. And where does he give so much wisdom? Wisdom right here in the scripture. So let it dwell in you. And if you need some answers, you just let it dwell. You let it just turn over. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing how God will use one scripture at a certain time in your life to provide wisdom? I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and um, they were asking me about making decisions. And, and I've never forgotten this model that was given to me years ago by a guy named Fred Wolf. Some of you remember Fred? What is Fred? It was a pastor down in Alabama. He ran, he was very involved in Southern Baptist Convention. Very, very involved. Fred preached for me at First Baptist Zachary uh, some years ago. You know, maybe remember. He came and spoke to the youth and he talked to them. This elderly man spoke to them about making decisions and wisdom. It was one of the greatest things I've ever heard. I don't know what he preached that night because his message wasn't that good. But the one beforehand... That, that was pretty cool. And um, one of the things that he said to them, he said, you need to ask God sometimes just to give you a specific scripture. He said, not the lucky dipping stuff. Not that. 
He said, oftentimes God will give you a specific scripture while you are studying his word. Like you're going through a process and you're going through something's going on. You say, God, I need a word. And I, yes, I know I've got it here and I'm reading, but I want you to speak to me specifically through a word right here. I need a scripture as the Holy Spirit will speak to me and show me exactly what I need. And it's amazing, isn't it? How God does open up and give you those things. So many times God will give you a specific scripture. Give you peace. Give you wisdom. He says, you let it dwell in you because there is wisdom. And, and notice this, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is where I tag one of my other staff members and I allow them to come preach now, right? Jeremy wants to come share or Zach or Jody because they need to talk to you about the worship ministry. Jody, I heard this may be your favorite verse in the Bible. It's your favorite. It's a great one to look at. Notice it in the context of how the word indwells and how it is spoken and how it can be taught. Do you see this? Teaching and admonishing one another. So you're teaching the word. You're encouraging and admonishing one another. How? You're... you're through the worship ministry. Through the worship ministry. How important is it? The word is important for me to come and to preach and to share and to give instruction. But it is important as well that through our worship ministry, even before I come here, it's not just like getting people ready for me. It is hopefully an opportunity that people are connecting with the Lord and also they are learning and they are being encouraged through the songs that are being sung. The teaching ministry. The teaching ministry can actually extend into the worship ministry as you sing. Hey, sometimes if you want to get something inside, what do you do? You set it to music. I can remember a song. Well, not all of it. Leslie's like, no, you can't remember any music or any lyrics. She's always amazed me because she, when we were dating like years ago, she could listen to a song once and she knew every word of it. And me, when it comes to certain times, I've heard songs, Amazing Grace, man, I've heard it so many times and I'm going to mess up every time on certain words. But songs can teach. I mean, when you set something to a melody, when you have the music, then when you, there's something that's there, a rhythm, you can learn the word do you know for example in the psalms the way that some of them are constructed they were they were constructed that way in order to be able to teach children like if they could remember if it if it began like a certain section would begin begin with the aleph the a of the hebrew or the bait the b of hebrew like the way they would do it they would line it up that way so that the children and others could memorize it it was, they would use these type of devices to aid memory, to help. And music, the worship ministry allows us to see the word of Christ indwell us. It, it, it helps us. It teaches us. It encourages us. Now listen, I'm not saying that every song that is written or any, let me say this. I'm not saying that any song necessarily that we have today outside of that which 
quote scripture directly, is inspired like this is inspired. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying to you that it is vitally important to the church's life for us to be able to put the word of Christ in us. I don't have time to break it down all the way, but I told somebody the other day, I think I'm studying more and I think I'm preaching longer. They used to say if you studied more, you would narrow it down, you know, and preach less. But I don't think that's the case. I don't know. I violate every type of expectation. But anyway... Another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, trying to understand, of course, obviously the idea of the Psalms and what are the spiritual songs. What are the... Instead of getting too bogged down there in, in what all these different things, let me just show you, they used a lot of different, a lot of different music in order to be able to teach the word of Christ. A lot of different. When I say music, obviously they're not using the piano, they're not, but they're using their voices primarily, I think, in this age. And they are u- utilizing that in worship so that the word of Christ would dwell in them. So it's important that the worship ministry encourages and teaches. It really is. I do love uh, the hymns that incorporate the scripture. And I didn't tell Jeremy to do this, but when he used the uh, scripture from Psalm 119 a few moments ago, I, I love that. I love the way you can incorporate the word and you can teach it even in worship. I will say to you that you and I ought to be discerning as far as what we're singing as well. Kind of look. What are those lyrics saying? Sometimes we just go through kind of the ritualistic practice, right? We stand, we sing, we, but what are those words meaning and discerning? Now, sometimes through the years, our theology has, has been rec, uh, recognized in the songs, and every now and then you'll have a change. I was thinking about this earlier, about um, the old song, Sweet, Sweet Spirit, Remember that song, some of you? It was a hymn we would sing. We still, every now and then, we'll sing it. Um, you get to the chorus. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove. And, of course, when I was younger, we would say, stay right here with us. Do you remember that? Some of y'all, y'all are in my same generation. Yeah, a few, few of you. It's not like that now. It actually says in this hymn book, you're right here with us because it says the author's original word is stay. Why did they change that? Why did they do that? Because it is a reflection of theology that God is with us. Where two or three or more are gathered, it's the idea that he is with us. So sometimes you change maybe lyrics or so based on your theology. I would say this. Let me say this. Don't overanalyze everything. It's good to be discerning. There was a song that was written uh, some time ago, and it was one of my favorite songs, but there was one little part of it that just bothered me, bothered me, bothered me, bothered me. And I went and uh, I listened to some takes on it. I actually had a friend of mine that did a podcast with one of the guys from Lifeway on that, and I went and actually listened. I don't listen to much podcast or anything, but I went because I just wanted to hear what they had to say. And they said they had talked to the original people, the people who had written that, and they were like, they did not intend for it to be taken like that. 
And I was like, that figures. I'm overanalyzing everything. That's the way my mind is. But it is good to be discerning. Because what we're singing is in some way teaching us. If you're focused on the words, it is teaching us. And hopefully what it's teaching us is the word. It may not be exact, the exact representation of Scripture. That is, it may not be a quote itself, but it should embody good doctrine, good theology. It should teach us and point us to the Word of God, always. So you are able to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Oh, by the way, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? When you sing, you got grace in your heart. Well, if you got the word in your heart, you got Christ in your heart, you ought to have grace in your heart. Reminds me of that passage in Acts. Oh, I know, I'm still caught up in that book, but that passage where Barnabas goes up to see the congregation at Antioch. When he sees the church at Antioch, He speaks and notices the grace that abounds in that congregation. How there's grace everywhere. Here Paul says, sing with grace in your heart. The word is put in, sing with grace. When people come into this church, I hope and pray from the worship ministry to the preaching ministry that they will see the word of Christ and they will see grace abound in everything that we do because it is so significant for us to put in the word into our lives. I've given you some ideas, some opportunities maybe to put in the word tonight and I encourage you based upon our message this morning and tonight that we put it in that we surrender to it and obey it, that we treasure it as God has given it to us. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for speaking to us in such specific, wonderful ways. We thank you for challenging us. We thank you for comforting us. I thank you that we can sing, that we can display the grace that dwells within us I'm thankful that we can have moments of worship as a congregation to express our love for you and the word which abides forever God I thank you for people who really are serious about studying whether it's in a larger context like this or Sunday morning, or whether it's in our small group Bible studies. And God, may we stay faithful. No matter what the word, the world tries to put in us, no matter what it tries to stuff into our lives, may we allow you to stuff your word into us. Lord, tonight I pray that you would be with us in this time of commitment, that it truly is a moment where we respond, whether here at the front or right where we are, in commitment 
and devotion to you and to what you've said to us. Help us to be people who are surrendered and who truly obey. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?